following program is in English. Thank you. To You're tuned in to L'Chaim, to life, with your host, Morris Klein, who just happens to be my baby brother. Shalom Aleichem, Shalom Aleichem, welcome back to L'Chaim, to life, Jewish life and more. And Hanukkah Sameach, everyone. I have to tell you, I've outpaced myself, I am all punchkud and sufganiyot and lucked out, and we're only halfway through our beautiful Hanukkah. I'm not sure that I can keep from plutzing. I'll tell you something, I wish the UN, you know, that anti-Semitic united nothing, would plutz and plutz big time. Two days ago, on the 74th anniversary of the United Nations decision to recognize the Jewish people's right to statehood and the partition plan, on November 29th, the UN held only a solidarity event with the Palestinians while ignoring the founding of Israel and the history of massacres and expulsions of 850,000 Jews from Arab countries and Iran. The pro-Palestinian conference on solidarity with the Palestinian people was held in the United Nations General Assembly on Monday. The conference intended to strengthen support for the Palestinians' right of return was attended by the President of the General Assembly, the President of the Security Council, Juan Ramon de la Fuente Ramirez of Mexico, and the Palestinians' Authority Ambassador to the UN, and the representatives of Palestinian civil society. I am sick of the anti-Semitic UN, united nothing. I could bang on about this for the whole program. That said, I'll leave it for another time as we have two excellent guests waiting, along with our radio tour guide in Israel, Effie Yacobi. And on with Lachaim, two live Jewish life for more, here on 92.3 FM, 3 Triple Z. Stick around. Michelle Huppert was born to Austrian parents in the north of France at the beginning of World War II. As a three-year-old, she traveled with her mother, Ruth, in Nazi-occupied France as a child decoy in missions undertaken by her mother, known as Malou, her nom de guerre in the French resistance. In 1952, Michelle and her mother immigrated to Australia to rebuild their lives. After completing her schooling at McRobertson Girls High School, Michelle attended business college, following which she built a successful career in the fashion industry. Ten years after Michelle's mother passed away in 2007, she embarked on a journey of remembrance and discovery, which has resulted in the recent publication of her remarkable book, Malou, French Resistance Fighter, the focus of our discussion. Welcome to L'Chaim, Michelle. Thank you for having me. Perhaps you could tell our listeners about your mother's life in Vienna and your parents' decision to go to France in 1933. My uh, grandfather was a Zionist, strong Zionist, and I have to go back to the beginning of the last century when he was very much involved with the Zionist group his group was called Ivria, and he was very much involved with Theodor Herzl and Heim Weizmann, who were also in that group, and he followed Herzl. And together, they went to uh, the first Basel conference with him, which I discovered so much later. I was quite amazed. It was something that I didn't realize. In the meantime, he married. He had a child, my mother. And when she was very small, 
she used to attend with him the meeting in Vienna of um, the Ivria. She was very strong-headed as a little girl already to follow what was in her heart. And so she became involved. And that was the beginning of her birth of modern Zionism for her. It was a very average household. My grandmother also founded a woman's group because they never met together. There were separate meetings in those days. They were until recently here. My mother, she lived a beautiful life in Vienna, socially and educationally. And when she graduated, she went to Paris. She wanted to follow fashion. She wanted to learn French properly. And so she went for a couple of years. When she came back, she married her boyfriend, who was Fred Knepel, my father. And they went to live in Paris because there they established themselves a tiny little factory, which I remember so well, was across the road from where we lived in a little flat. And he was a knitwear technician. He could work out patterns. And my mother was able to fashion what came out of it. They had very nice friends, non-Jewish friends, who were very instrumental during the war for us. She was easy to make friends. She was easy to be attached to. So that worked out very nicely. Then the war came. Well, I was expected in December of 39, and the war broke up in September. Mm. So the government suggested that expected mother and all the young people should move up north because the Germans were coming to Paris. So we went to Picardy in the Somme estuary. There was a little fishing village, Le Crotois, where they used to spend summer holidays. And they went there to friends who had an old, very old farm. And this is where I was born. Beginnings were in a very old farm with the water outside. They had to pump up, but it didn't affect me at all. I blossomed. <laughs> and they, they were there for about six months. And then the Germans came from Belgium. So we had to flee to the south, back to Paris. And then there was a division in France. There was a, an agreement between the Pétain government and uh, the German that France would be divided into free France and uh, occupied. Mm -hmm. so again, now we were foreigners in France. We were Jews and then we were looked for everywhere yes. because our name was, before the war, registered. We were registered as residents. So they knew where to find us. That became a hide-and-seek existence mm -hmm. for us. What were the circumstances that led Ruth to join the Marquis, which was made up of rural guerrilla bands of the French resistance fighters? We finally left Paris. We went to the south of France, but we separated because I only had, I had my father and his mother, my grandmother, and, and my mother and I. And we were four. And with a baby that they carried in a shopping basket, um, it was not easy to move. So we decided to separate. We went southeast towards Bordeaux. And my father and grandmother went to Nice, where they had uh, friends who were able to procure them with Italian passports. Mm. We also had some Italian passports. I, I don't know how it materialized, but our friends in Paris made it possible. And we ended up in Villeneuve-sur-Lot. And then we were hidden by Italians. They were escapees from Mussolini. 
And then she found out what they were doing. They found out how very important she would be in their group. And she became Malouk because nobody knew their name. No one knew where they came from. Nobody asked questions. And Malou was the only name she gave. I believe that you were involved as a decoy, as I said in the introduction, and part of your role, you had a a silent communication basically through uh, facial gestures with your mother. Yes, it was very interesting. From the beginning, we could communicate with our eyes, you know. I was little, so she used to shut her eyes and shake her head or smile and do this, and I knew exactly what I should do. It was amazing. It was wonderful. So because she had an Italian passport, she could travel freely in trains because at the time, Italy was in favor of the Germans. So there was this woman, nicely dressed always, me nicely dressed always, traveling in a train with Germans. Mm -hmm. And I had to know how to behave. I even learned (laughs) to this stage, my grandchildren remind me how you taught me how to eat with a knife and fork. And that goes back to the time when I had to do it, (laughs) strangely enough. But never left me, stayed with me, passed it on. And so that was it. Who could this little couple do anything? Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, she heard the conversation and where she was going towards the mission, carrying a revolver at the bottom of a big bag, which was never searched fully. She could understand what was going on and report it and then come back the same day and do what she had to do. Extraordinary. So they often queried, was it fair to involve a child? If you ask me today or you ask me then, I would do it again. Because either, it was either we, we live or we die. Yes. I guess extraordinary actions during extraordinary times. Yes. You can't explain it to anybody. How can a child three years old understand all that? But when you live with someone and you go through all these movements, yes. there is a feeling. And I, I, I knew nothing else. So that was my life. And yes. it was a good life for me. She made it good for me. We can't really do proper justice to everything that is in the book, but perhaps you could describe what happened when your mother learned that your father had been imprisoned by the Nazis. Yes, well, he was in Nice, and uh, at the time, being Jewish, he was arrested and put into prison in Lyon. I I don't know how they got to know where he was, but as soon as she heard, she went across the country, the south of the country, from Bordeaux to Lyon is a fair way. So she left me with friends in Villeneuve, that's near Bordeaux, and she went across to get him out. In the process, she got arrested also. She did not wear a star. She had a passport. She was Italian. Mm-hmm. And she had a pretty good accent. She had an accent of an Italian woman, not a German woman. So she went there. She went to the uh, chief of police. He interrogated her very thoroughly for a few hours. And after a while, he said, there's a door over there. You go, your husband is on the other side, and you go away. I'll let you both go. And she found out later on that he was an undercover resistance fighter. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. What the courage. (laughs) So they both went to Nice, and she returned to me. 
it was amazing. She often said, I don't know how I did it, but I did it. And I can believe at her age, at the time, she was just over 30, 34, something like that, that she had the guts to do it. Yes. How difficult was the process of obtaining all the documents and other information you needed to write the book? I had pretty good memory with faces and photos. And all I had were faces and photos during the war. And I had quite a few photos at home. And I remembered the, where it was taken, the circumstances. They were happy circumstances. So I dug a little bit further. Then I had the help of, came across two wonderful women, as I write in the book, historian. Mm-hmm one who was particularly working in that area where we live, which was amazing. She, she described exactly she was studying that area. And the other one, one Anne Seba, who wrote Les Parisiennes. It's a book I came across in a bookshop. Mm. And it described exactly the life that we led in Paris. So I rang her, I spoke to her. It was amazing. And um, so a lot of details were put together like a puzzle. So it took a little while and every bit that I had to explain to myself and of course to the reader, what was happening in France? What was the political situation? Because that's something that a few people knew about. And we had a map of France which showed our travel and we showed the division of France during that time. And that helped a little bit to see what we went through. Took a little bit of time. Mm. Michelle Huppert, congratulations on your book, Malou, French Resistance Fighter, which is the extraordinary story of your mother and you. I thoroughly recommend the book to our audience, and I would also direct listeners to the Jewish Holocaust Centre's website where they can watch Michelle's interview with the Centre's Dr Anna Hirsch, in which there is footage from her mother's testimony. Thank you, Michelle. Very, very much appreciated. It was a pleasure talking to you and to your listeners, and I thank you very much for this opportunity. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle Huppert with Murray. What a beautiful story about her remarkable mother, Ruth Knepelstein, Malou, French resistance fighter. And what could be a more appropriate song than Leonard Cohen's The Partisan? And we'll be right back after The Partisan with Effie Yacobi in Israel. Across the border, I was cautioned to surrender. This I could not do. I took my gun and vanished. I have changed my name so often. I've lost my wife and children, but I have many friends. And some of them are with me An old woman gave us shelter Kept us hidden in the garret Then the soldiers came She died without a whisper There were 
three of us this morning. I'm the only one this evening, but I must go on. The frontiers are my prison. Oh, the wind, the wind is blowing. Through the graves, the wind is blowing. Freedom soon will come. Then we'll come from shadow. Right, you'll find in about 15 minutes to half an hour a recording of tonight's Lachaim program at 3zzz.com.au. Click on the down arrow in the Listen to a Show Square and scroll down to the Jewish group. You'll find it there. Links to YouTube recordings of tonight's interviews will be posted to the Lachaim and Morris Klein Facebook pages tomorrow. Lachaim podcasts are also available at JWire, Digital Jewish News Daily for Australia and New Zealand. Please check out the other two programs that make up the Jewish group here at 3ZZZ. The Hebrew Hour, Shabbat Shalom, 3pm on Friday, and the Yiddish Hour, 11am on Sunday. If you'd like to contact us here at Lechaim, our email is lchaim3zzz at gmail.com. For only $16, please consider becoming a member of the Jewish group here at 3ZZZ. And for seniors, it's just $11. Again, Click on 3zzz.com.au. Many thanks again to Team Lachaim, Dr. George Banky, the executive producer, Dr. Murray Frankel, and Jeff Deegan. The Jewish world lost another entertainment giant. The towering musical theatre master, Stephen Sondheim, passed away a few days ago, aged 91. Stephen Sondheim, the songwriter, reshaped the American musical theatre in the second half of the 20th century with his intelligent, intricately rhymed lyrics, along with his use of evocative melodies and his willingness to tackle unusual subjects. His most famous ballad, Send In The Clowns, has been recorded hundreds of times, including by Frank Sinatra and Judy Collins. In his early career, Sondheim wrote the lyrics for two shows considered to be classics of the American stage, 
West Side Story, 1957, and Gypsy, 1959. West Side Story, with the music by Leonard Bernstein, transplanted Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet to the streets and gangs of modern-day New York. I have a connection to West Side Story. Leonard Bernstein was my mother's cousin. So, as it's Hanukkah, the Festival of Lights, we're going to close out tonight's L'Chaim with a West Side Story Hanukkah parody. So thank you for tuning in, and please join us again next week on L'Chaim. My name is Morris Klein. I'm Yisrael Chai, and peace. Candles were lighting on Hanukkah Blessings reciting on Hanukkah Fried foods were burning on Hanukkah Family uniting on Hanukkah I made a clay dreidel to spin Why does it only land on shin? Sufgani with my family I'll take a latke if you please Chocolate mommy and Hanukkah Lockers are crunchy on Hanukkah Presents from Bobby and Hanukkah I want a puppy for Hanukkah While proudly we proclaim we're free Menorah, recall the great temple's menorah And how the oil they found kept burning strong and proud brightly Menorah, watch the flames as they're dancing, swaying Feel the joy of the blessings we're saying Lights, it's called Hanukkah. Dear mighty Antiochus, you gotta understand. Good boys, you can't start till this and get out of our land. The soldiers smashed our temple, and all our royal is bad. Goodness gracious, now you made us mad. G King Antiochus, you're really obtuse. You'll never get us worshipping Apollo or Zeus. We don't bow to idols, you're made out of wood. Life's polytheism's no good. It's no good, it's no good. It's no good, no, no, it's just no good. All this polytheism's no good. Eight nights, eight nights, we celebrate God's mind.